0: That's what it sounded like a few days ago at this Canadian medical clinic inside Ukraine where local volunteers were singing a patriotic song. The video is from Dr. Daniel Kolick. He's a Canadian ER physician from Dundas, Ontario. And for the past two weeks, this clinic in the Krakowitz area, about 20 miles inside Ukraine, has been his temporary office. Kolik left his job at a hospital to volunteer with the charity Canadian medical assistance teams, and every night he drives back and forth to one of two clinics from his hotel based in Poland and does a 12-hour night shift, where he and a team of about 15 Canadian nurses and paramedics treat exhausted Ukrainian refugees who arrive on buses en route west to safety in Poland and beyond. Kolik is Jewish, his parents and extended family have Holocaust memories, And so seeing the humanitarian crisis makes it impossible for him not to think about the parallels in history.
1: One lady brought a bag of apples because she didn't know she was going to get to eat on the way. So she had a bag of apples, right? So it is between that and going to the reception center in Poland, uh, seeing how they were uh, collecting people, it is hard not to be moved to tears.
0: I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Tuesday, March 29th, 2022. Welcome to the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. <music> Daniel Kolik is 64 years old. He isn't getting paid for the two weeks he's been at the Polish-Ukrainian border. But he left behind his job at a Burlington hospital so he could walk the walk himself, to be a front-line doctor, the way he's been teaching others to do all these years. The charity he volunteers for put out a call for doctors to set up clinics near border crossings that have been flooded with Ukrainian refugees. Many of them arrive after hours and days and long journeys without medicine or access to doctors. Coming up, Dr. Kollek will be here to tell us what he's seen and why he took time out to say prayers at the site of the nearby Belzec death camp, where 600,000 Polish Jews were murdered. But first, here's what's making news elsewhere in Canada right now. I am Shirley Hanick. I'm from Toronto, Canada, but currently in Florida. And this is what Jewish Canada sounds like. The family of a missing British Columbia man is marking nearly a year since his disappearance. Bernard Grempel was last seen in Surrey, B.C. in May. His sister and her family have been searching for him, together with teams of volunteers, and they have not given up. They've now raised the reward for information leading to finding the 29-year-old from $10,000 to $30,000. The RCMP and others say Bernie took the SkyTrain from Surrey and he got off somewhere en route to his parents' house. And despite at least 100 tips that have come in when people say they saw him, none of these has panned out. There's a GoFundMe page to help his sister, Eddie Shurak, post flyers around the Vancouver area. The link to find out more is in our show notes. And Dr. Daniel Kolik joins me now from the charity's base near Tomaso on the Poland-Ukraine border. Why did you decide, you personally, to go here?
1: There there are a whole load of factors. I mean, one is that I have been uh, teaching disaster preparedness and studying it for years and years. Uh, and I've always focused on the hospital side of the equation, of the receiving side, but I've never gone out to the field. So this was the opportunity. And it's interesting, and it's fascinating, and it's exciting. Um, And you get to meet people who are unbelievable. Both the people who came with us and the people who are here are – it is amazing how good these people are. And then the other part of it is that you can't really complain about people doing nothing if you're not willing to get off your rear end and do it yourself. So. I figured, you know, I should not complain. I should just get up and go.
0: Is this your first disaster? If uh, You said away, but you never dealt with mass des- casualties and stuff like this in Canada before?
1: Uh, no, I've dealt with a few smaller things. My first disaster uh, was in high school because I did my high school in Israel and I was uh, working with Magenta Vida Dom, that is the Israeli uh, paramedic pre-hospital service. Uh, and, uh, I was, uh, about a block and a half away at the Zion square bombing. And I was about 16 years old, uh, 16, 17, I have to do the math. Uh, so, uh, it's in hindsight that you make these connections, right? But from that point on, it just, uh, you realize the need and you realize how much is involved. And I just seem to have stuck to that.
0: All right. So, um, what kinds of things are you seeing in terms of the the, the patients uh, who who are coming through?
1: The the vast majority of patients I'm seeing are primary care issues. Uh, it is uh, uh, patients who've been on buses for thirty hours uh, uh, and who are exhausted and who are dizzy and who are and who ran and didn't take their medication, so their blood pressure is out of control. Uh, occasionally they will complain of something like chest pain, uh, uh, bowel issues, the stuff that is, none of it is, uh, uh or typically very little of it is dramatic, uh, uh, medicine, but it's a serious need because from their viewpoint, uh, war or no war, they need their blood pressure medication. We've had people who needed dressing changes, not necessarily because one of them was because of a shrapnel wound but some of them were just because they have chronic lesions on, you know, older people, lesions on their feet and uh, two, three days, you need to get those dressings changed. So, you know, it, it's, it's sort of a hodgepodge uh, and certainly some uh, with uh, sort of somatic manifestations of anxiety where they're there with a headache, but you need to talk to them a little bit, which gets challenging through an interpreter and, uh, I cannot think of the number of times I've told people that their blood pressure is a little bit up from normal. And they say, that's not normal. And I said that this situation is not normal. So this is okay. It's not, uh, I mean, there's a bit of that.
0: And then do you, you don't have any like surgical places. It's just sort of walk-in clinic type stuff, right? Uh,
1: On that side of the, on the Ukraine side of the border where we were, uh, a large number of people are coming by buses so the buses pull up and they unload a whole load of people with their luggage, which is whatever they can carry. Uh, when there are no buses, there's nothing for us to do. And then suddenly there are two, three buses uh, and this, there's this large ramp that they walk up, which takes them into the tent. Uh, the tent is there. The ramp is a bit sheltered, but the tent is really there to provide them warmth uh, and um, and food and drink, there's spots when the charge their mobile phones, which is critical. Uh, and so we set ourselves up there in a small space with a clinic that initially was uh, some stacks of fruit boxes, because that's what they had, which became our pharmacy, uh, a mattress with a blanket behind it between the edge of the fruit boxes and the outside part of the tent, so it's a bit shelter. That was our inpatients, uh, and a desk and a chair in front of that which was uh, where we started collecting you know, uh, patients and what, uh, doing our histories, registering them and so on. Uh, and over time, as we, once we defined what we needed, we started bringing stuff over uh, and putting up some shelves and putting up some signage and uh, getting heaters because it, is, it was at that point incredibly cold at night. Uh, and we, would, we put ourselves purposely in the stream of people coming into the tent because we wanted to be able to scan the crowd. Uh, particularly people coming in carrying small kids or something like that. It's cold out there. A small kid will get hypothermic really, really fast. I want to eyeball that child as they're going by. One one woman came in with a small package that wasn't moving. Uh, and we got really scared till we realized there was a tiny cat. <laughs> or, or So, you know, everyone
0: <laughs> All right. And so as being Jewish and being Israeli, are they any, have you shared that with any of the people who have come in and said, and have you found any Jewish refugees at all, or did, does that not come up?
1: There, there It does come up. Uh, there is a group called, I think it's called Behesed uh, that are on the Polish side. Uh, and uh, they certainly have been uh, helping receive Jews Uh not only, I mean, they're part of the stream and they'll have to help anybody. But if you have needs related to being Jewish, then they're there for that. I didn't have that conversation with the refugees. Also, considering that everything is through a translator, it would have been it just wouldn't have flowed. Uh, but what's interesting is amongst the tents that have been set up, because a lot of groups came by to set up supporting tents. There's the uh, Messianic Jewish community from Lviv, who are. Wonderful. And let me give you an example. We needed interpreters. Our rate limiting step was interpretation. I can see a lot of patients quickly, uh, but I can't if I can't talk to them and then have to get registered. And the person who's doing the registration can't talk to them or, or it's very limited. So, and Google Translate will never keep up with the pace we need. So we had needed translators. So this woman shows up with a friend. She's from the tent across the way. She found, heard the Canadians were here. She need you need translators. Yeah, I'm here. I'll translate. She's from the Jewish community uh, of Libya.
0: Did you say they were the Messianic Jewish community of Libya? Correct. So this is
1: a this this is a, a, a Jewish congregation that believes in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, and uh, we had a brief discussion about that. It, just, it it was a non-issue to them. They don't care even they don't care that I'm Jewish or not Jewish. They care that people need help. It is, it's at that level of humanity that everything else pales by comparison.
0: Your background being, you know, uh, with spending a lot of time in Israel with Israeli heritage. Um, and now you, you know, obviously know about the Holocaust and you see this, this kind of mass um, mass movement of people from refugees. What that layer of knowledge that some you know, Jewish people have about this region? How does that, uh, if at all, come into your mind when you're there?
1: It's impossible for someone who knows about that part of history to not make the connections. Uh, putting aside the, you know, the similarity of Putin's uh, uh, campaign, comparing it to Hitler's campaign in 30, 39, 38, 39, uh, it, you, can't, you, you see these people who are, who are just coming, carrying whatever they've got. And I mean, there are people who come from wealthy uh, environments and you'll see one woman came through with a long coat and with a Calvin Klein rolling suitcase with a travel pillow wrapped around it. Uh, and the next bus is people from Mariupol who had these little wire shopping carts and shopping bags and that's what they had. It happens that Herbena is within 15 minute drive of Belzec which was a concentration camp. And uh, our driver today, because I saw the sign and I saw it was a train station and it doesn't take too much to put two and two together about the trains and the camps. Uh, so I asked our driver who is neither Jewish nor from this region. And he immediately said, yes, I know exactly where it is. And here there's a memorial. And he, it, it, I was working last night. So at the end of last night, shift, he picked me up and he drove me. I said, Do you mind taking a few minutes? I would like to go. Didn't even think twice. He knew exactly where it was. He drove me to the morgue. That's where I was today. I went and, said, I went and prayed at the, uh, uh, at the site of Belzec camp. So it is a generation or two generations away, but it's not gone. The connection is very real. Did you I say Kaddish or, or what did you do? I said, I said Kaddish and I said El Malevah That's. Uh, uh, I, I travel with a small siddur and with, uh, with a and just uh, That's in my go bag, right? <laughs> that's that's uh, with my passport.
0: So as your uh, deployment comes to the close and you come back to Canada, uh, what's the next steps for you?
1: Um, what's the next step? I think there will be a period of reflection. I've been keeping a diary uh, because I don't want to forget what I've seen here. Uh, and um, I w- I'll go over it, and I'm going to rewrite it, and just put it into something that is that I can look back on in years to come. Uh, and what I suspect is going to happen is I'm going to run into other people with different medical problems there, and it gives me a context where I think, yeah, I know it's a problem. I know you perceive it as a problem, uh, but or even for myself, when something happens, I think of myself. I don't have any problems. These people have problems. I've got an easy life. So I'm going to come back with a perspective that is, uh, I think, a lot deeper than I had before.
0: And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout-out goes to Marnie Mandel in Toronto. And we'll end the show with something for all you Maj fans, Mahjong fans. Stay tuned for a coming episode on the new cards that should be coming out right about now and how the pandemic has changed how people play this iconic game.
1: I was playing Mahjong online
0: with girls from both of the groups that I play with regularly. What we were doing up to that point was we were playing, um, we were playing on a site called mahjong.net, which offered you eight free games a day. But while we were doing that, we were also on WhatsApp or FaceTime so that we could sit and talk to each other at the same time. So we each had two devices beside us.